Hebrews chapter 6, as we uh, continue with the Hebrews series, the, the message tonight is our assurance in the oath of God. Our assurance is in the oath of God. Tonight, I'm, I'm excited about this lesson. It should uplift you, uplift your heart. Uh, we're going to talk about how we have security in Christ and the pledge which God has made to us to keep us. And just a very uplifting uh, portion of scripture we see. But look at chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 13 and read to verse 20. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us centered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again, Lord, your blessings upon your word. May we bring glory and honor to you. And Father, may you, you bless it, and that you may open our hearts, and that we may see your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11 and verse 12 really connects this thought. Last week, if you remember, we started talking about, really, we need to start in verse, verse 9. Verse 9, we introduced this topic or this idea. He says, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. If you notice the double use of the word things in verse 9, how we are persuaded of better things, and that better things was in reference to the fruit of salvation versus the fruit of someone who has a false profession. Uh, come back up to verse 7. Uh, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh to cursing, whose end is to be burnt. But but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. So he's encouraging them to uh, per persevere in the faith. And those who have a genuine salvation will persevere in the faith. And you got to remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to those who are under pressure and persecution. They're going through just a lot of circumstances in their life that is challenging faith. I mean, that is when, when faith, the rubber is meeting the road. You profess Jesus Christ, you're going to get hurt. You're gonna, there's going to be a cost that goes with professing Jesus Christ. And so go forward. Go forward and profess him. And that's what he's saying because that is the evidence of someone who is saved. The evidence of someone who is saved is the, the heart, the fruits of the Spirit, the one that's bringing God glory, uh, even if it comes at an ultimate price to you. But those who turn away, those, the, the cost is too high, 
They're not bearing those fruits. So uh, the writer says in verse 9, we are persuaded better things. We are, we are persuaded that you will persevere, that, you, that God will carry you through. And the second thing he talks about, that the, the things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Really, verse 9 starts this whole topic that we're about to talk about tonight. Because in verse 10, he's talking about the things which accompany salvation. For first of all, verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. What a, what a thing. Remember who he's talking to again. He's not talking to the ones who aren't being persecuted. He's talking to the ones who are being persecuted, yet they are laboring in love, yet they are ministering to the saints. They are in pain and fear themselves, yet they are laboring for others in the faith. And verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Someone who is laboring in love and ministering to the saints, even though they need a lot of attention themselves, uh, it is a full assurance of faith. That's the only way that you could do that. You have to know uh, your, your God is a big God. You have to know God's on his throne. You have to know that God's got me. God's got me. So I, I can take my eyes off of me and, and just focus on ministering to others, helping others, loving others, uh, supporting them. And then verse 11 and verse 12, we really go into verse 13. But So let's look at verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So his admonition is to charge ahead, stay steadfast in the faith despite the world that the whirlwind that's going on around you. Consider the faith and patience of the saints. And then he gives us an example. In verse 13, we start with Abraham. But the main point of verse 13 through 20, we're directed to look at the nature of God's promises, the need for patience. It's, it's not just having faith, but it's also waiting on the Lord, having patience. And he's getting ready to talk about Abraham as our example. And then last week we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, all of the hall of faith, all of those who uh, endured affliction, not having received the, the promises, not having received deliverance, not have, you know, they, they were put into the Colosseum, they were persecuted, they were used as sport, uh, they were martyred, they were beaten, uh, they were separated from their families, they, they paid an ultimate price. Um, and here, I mean, he says to trust God, have patience in God. Um, and then verse 18 is the main point, that it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation. This is the main thrust of verses 13 through 20. This strong consolation is comfort. It's paraclesis. It's the, that's where we get the comforter. So it is an encouragement. We have a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Now, at the same time, still in kind of an overview, 
Uh, you remember, every time we open up Hebrews, we need to connect our threads. We need to connect the dots. Remember, the main, one of the big uh, points of Hebrews is to abandon the old covenant and get on board with the new covenant. How much better the new covenant is. Jesus is the better mediator. He's the better mediator over the angels, the better mediator over Moses and and, and he's also the better high priest, and he has the mediator of the better covenant. That is the new covenant. And so Christ has ratified the new covenant with his blood. Everything from Judaism. I mean, he is trying to say, get away from Judaism. Get away from those old things. Get away from the old religious works that you were trying to work and get on with the, the new covenant that is in Christ and his blood ratified by Jesus's blood. So another thing we need to look at tonight is why are we reading this? And really, why did he put in here the security which we have in God? That his blessings or his promises that he made to Abraham, the fact that God is great why did he put that in there? Because here's the thing, again, if you're, if you're going up against this much cost, isn't it wonderful our hearts are assured? And isn't it great how the word of God continues to assure our hearts? And we have the Holy Spirit that assures us that we are the children of God, that God will keep his promises. No matter what situation we're going through, we can battle through the storm uh, knowing that he's our anchor, he's our hold, he will not fail. And so we can go through, we can endure those things, but at the same time, he's bringing this out because when you're facing that martyrdom, and remember he's talking to the Hebrews and to us, when you're facing that ultimate situation, that ultimate choice, then we have a sure anchor. You have to, you, you're going to need full assurance of faith. And I believe the Holy Spirit will give us the courage to do that if that time ever comes. I believe God will give us grace to, make, to bring him glory in those times where we need to, where it could cost us everything. It could cost you every, everything you've known. It could cost you your family. It could cost you. Are you willing to do that? Well, do you know that we're secured in God's promises? Did you know that God's on his throne? And did you know that no matter what happens, God will not fail? Yeah. That's the full encouragement he's bringing to the Hebrews. Commit. Commit to the Lord. Get away from the old things of the law. The, the new covenant is God's plan, his purpose, his sovereign will is the new covenant. That all of God's promises are secured in the atonement. Of Jesus Christ and his blood and as we look here that's the only way Abraham could be justified that's the only way Abraham could have righteousness the only way was because of the new covenant it was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ and God using the atonement of Christ as him being just and being the justifier of Abraham Abraham was not saved by the law Abraham was saved by grace, right. through faith, yeah. in the blood of the atonement that was to come. They look forward to the cross. It's only ever been one cost, and that was Jesus' blood. That's the only uh, security 
of us having our sins forgiven, no matter where you put your feet in time, it's always been the blood of Jesus Christ, whether you're looking forward to it or you're looking back. So when we look here, it is God's integrity. So the questions are, can we trust our lives to God? Can we take him at his word? Can we really, can God really keep us from falling? Is there going to be a time where God just gets bored with us and just loses interest? And just, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to commit to the promises I made. I'm just, he's God. He, you do whatever he wants. Is there ever going to be a time where God just says, you know what, I, I'm tired of that? Well, that are the, that's the questions. Is there really salvation and security with God? Abraham believed so. Abraham believed it. Abraham, so there's four reasons that we see in this passage that we can trust God. First of all, we look at the greatness of his person. We look at the greatness of God's person. We look at the greatness of his purpose of grace. We look at God's pledge, his oath to us. And then we see our great high priest securing us even today. So in verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, so he brings up Abraham. There's no better person to mention than Abraham, because if you think about it, who was the physical father of the Jews, the Hebrews? It was Abraham. Who's the spiritual father? Who's, who's our father of faith? It's Abraham. So not only does it have application to the Hebrews he's writing to, it has application to us. You must have faith like Abraham to be saved. Okay? You must have like faith of Abraham. So he says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Now this is a quote, actually verse 13 and verse 14 are quotes from Genesis chapter 22. And verse 14, he says, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. These were the promises that God gave to Abraham. And there's many places in Genesis uh, let's see, I think I wrote them Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 17, 1 through 27, the whole chapter of Genesis 17, Genesis 18, Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 through 18. And I believe he's quoting where he says, And God said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing. This is when uh, Abraham was up at the Mount Moriah with Isaac. And he says, And thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and they shall, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. But notice that God's promise to Abraham is because he could swear by no greater. We can trust God because of his greatness. There is no one greater God could swear by. In Job 37, 5, it says, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which we cannot comprehend. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods. He's a Lord of lords, a great God a mighty God, a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. 
Now, by definition, whatever God says is true because he is truth. He's called the first truth. He's the inventor of truth. The only reason we have truth is because of God. That's the only reason we know truth is because of him. He only speaks truth. He never lies. God cannot lie. Uh, and it says that God could swear by no one greater be than himself because there was no one greater to swear by. Therefore, if God's promises are secured by the character of his person, by the greatness of God, then we are secured because of his greatness. We are secured. We, we can believe every word of God because of the greatness of his person. He cannot lie. That's not his nature. Uh, he cannot. If he were to do that, it would strip away his deity. Because his nature, his character is unchangeable and he cannot lie. Now, when he brings up Abraham, he's bringing up the model of our faith. Uh, we know that God had promised Abraham in the covenant uh, blessings. He and the, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He promised Abraham offspring. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. He promised Abraham land. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And he promised Abraham a child. And that was Isaac. And he says, God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. Now the father of the Jews is also the father of faith. Paul in Romans chapter 4, the whole point that he had brought up Abraham was that salvation was never obedience to the law. It was never being born into the physical nation of Israel. It was never being a physical child of Abraham. But it's always been, salvation's always been God's unconditional grace, his mercy, his determination to save us. Um, and he brings that up in Romans chapter 4. If Abraham were justified by works, he'd have reason to boast. But Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And I think this is really the thrust of what he's talking about. Look, every, all the Jews knew Abraham. I mean, Abraham was the patriarch. Abraham was the father of the nation. So when he's bringing up Abraham, just like Paul if this isn't already Paul writing Hebrews, just as he brought him up in Romans. Look, Abraham was saved by faith before there was circumcision, before there was the law. It was all fueled by grace through faith. And that's what we, he needs to see, and that's what we need to see. The light of the, you know, in the light of the reader's persecution and the borderline Christians that were compelled they need to look to Abraham and his faith, not his patriarchy, not his circumcision, not the physical things that God promised, but the spiritual things and how Abraham was saved, how Abraham found righteousness in the eyes of the Lord, how Abraham was imputed God's righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was never the law. It was never physical promises that saved Abraham. It was God having grace on Abraham and Abraham believed <laughs> he believed and he counted himself you know he staggered not at the, the the promises of God he considered not the deadness of Sarah he he considered not the things that were weighing 
against physically what he could see with the promise which God had gave. He counted God's word more real than what he could see. Isn't that something? He counted God's word more real than what he could see around him. And that's what faith is. That's what faith is. Are we anchored that much into the promises of God that we would walk through a fire because we know what God has promised? We would do whatever we need to do uh, because of what God has promised. That's the greatness of God. And the greatness of his grace is in verse 14. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Now, he is saying instead of relying on a covenant of works, Mosaic law and the covenant of works, which will do what? Reveal their greatness. Isn't that what a religion of works is? Isn't that just a way to make yourself feel better? Isn't that a way to, to focus on your greatness? Well, instead of focusing on the covenant of works, which is to lead us to Christ, let us look at the new covenant, which is Christ. And instead of us seeing our greatness, we turn our eyes upon Jesus and see his greatness. We, we don't see how we've succeeded. We see how Christ has succeeded. We know we've not succeeded. We know we've failed. And so surely he says, I will bless thee. And that's by God's grace. He purposed to have grace on Abraham. Abraham didn't deserve it. Abraham wasn't asking for it amongst all the other people, amongst all the other. This was the man who brought birth to Israel, brought birth to a nation. God chose Abraham. God determined to have grace upon Abraham. He promised that all that would come to him and would come through his son would be saved. That's God's promise. Just as God's promise was to, to Abraham and to the, the covenant, by his grace, he also promises us and everyone who hears today that if you come to him through Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's what the, his promise is. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, just as secure as God's grace was and his promises was to Abraham, we also see that here in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he attained the promise. You know, it's an interesting verse. You, you would have thought kind of naturally he would have kept going with God, God the greatness of God, the grace of God, but in verse uh, 15, he brings out the proof of God's promise. It was proved to Abraham of God's promises. Now, did Abraham re receive the promise of a son? Yes. Did, it, did Abraham receive the promise that, uh, of the land? Yes. Abraham, now we know that he was a, a pilgrim and a sojourner in the land looking for a better country. He dwelt in tents, but he was there. So the highlight of this verse, though, in verse 15. Now, we're, we're going to read it again and read it kind of slow. And so after he, who? Abraham, had patiently endured, 
he obtained the promise. We were just talking about the greatness of God, the God could swear by no greater, his grace giving to Abraham. But what did Abraham do? He patiently endured. He had faith in God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But what did he also have to have? Patience. Patience. The application is to imitate Abraham. Look at verse 12. It it goes back to verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's key that he's bringing up patience. Remember, he's talking to those persecuted, but he's, he's also talking to us. Because there are circumstances and sufferings in this life that will tempt us with impatience. Pain will tempt us with impatience. But Abraham endured in faith, and so can we. It was years before Abraham received Isaac. I mean, if you read the Genesis account, it's years between God giving him the very initial promise and then Abraham, and then Sarah actually having the child. So he patiently endured. He patiently uh, went through affliction. He, he, he went through all of those things. But I believe that in verse 15, he did obtain the promise. He obtained Isaac. So verse 16, he kind of comes back <laughs> Now to God's greatness again. He's picking up God's greatness of his oath. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Now, when we talk about, now there's two different words going on here. There's swear in verse 16, and there's oath. Same thing in verse 17. There's swear and there's... There there are two different words. Uh, To swear is a verb used to describe the taking of an oath. You know, when you're in the courtroom and they swear, you so solemnly swear, and what what are you doing? You're taking an oath. The part where you are promising, or that's what that word, swear, that you are promising to take this oath... So the promise, the swear, kind of starts and ends. You're you're just verbalizing your intention to keep the oath. The oath continues on until it is finished, until you have completed what you have owed or vowed to do. Um, So in verse 16, when he's bringing up men, he's bringing up there in the New Testament times, uh, it was common for a person to take an oath and to swear upon something greater, whether it was the temple, the priest, uh, or even God, uh, to take the oath. And then at that point, the matter was settled. Uh, If somebody was like, I do not, I solemnly swear, I take the oath, and I swear by the greater, whatever it is, men can do that. I solemnly swear, I I do not owe this man money matter settled it's been confirmed Uh, but we know that they could be lying now and that's what it means it's the end of all strife so it's done but look at verse 17 wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath now is it necessary for God to 
take an oath? It's not. God's word is true. God cannot lie. He's, he's not less serious not in, in the things that he has said that he has not taken an oath for. But the Lord knows us. The, the, the Lord knows that, look, and look at the context again. Through suffering, through pain, through, through things of this life, through fear, through all those things, you know you have an anchor in the Lord. The Lord has went the extra measure for us to say, hey, God has taken an oath of his promise that he will save you, that you are saved, that you, are, that you will endure. And so verse 17, he's willing to show to the heirs. Who's the heirs of promise? That's to all of the children of God, all those who are secure in the blood of Jesus Christ, all those whom he died for. Those are the heirs of the promise. Not just the physical promises that God, you know, it's not talking about that. He's talking about the spiritual promises. Because we're talking about faith. Willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now, immutability means unchanging. And what that is, is the oath is given to confirm the certainty of his promise. God swore an oath to David that Christ would sit on his throne. In Psalm 132, God swore the oath to Abraham that surely I will bless thee, surely I will multiply thee. So the securities of God's oath, his pledge, this is his pledge, are in the atonement of Jesus Christ. All of God's promises, his pledge, every good blessing that we receive are all received through Jesus Christ in his blood. All of the good things, all the blessings which Abraham received were all because of Jesus Christ and his blood. We must see Jesus from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. That it is all through him. And God has secured us, locked us in, sealed us, and we will be redeemed. That we do have the victory. That the life's not meaningless and God keeps his word. And so all of that is secured. And so what a thrill, what an assurance of our hearts that, yeah, I can, I can go ahead and kick down this door and be persecuted for the Lord because God is great, his grace is great, and his pledge to me is great. He's immutable. He cannot change. You know, God cannot lie, even if he wanted to. He cannot lie because it's against his character. He cannot change. He cannot go back. Uh, what he says that he has began a good work in us, he will continue to do. One day the Lord is going to descend out of the clouds and there's going to be a trump in the voice of the archangel and all the dead in Christ will rise and we will meet him and those who are alive and remain will meet, meet him in the air. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. Soon and very soon, we are all going to see the king, all of us. There's going to be a whole new, if the Lord preserves his church here, there's going to be a whole new crew <laughs> continuing on the Lord's work if the Lord tarries and does not come. We'll all be in glory, every single one of us. If, if, if you, you know, I know that you all profess salvation. And so we'll be in glory. Now, 
I like what John Gill wrote here. He says, What is meant is the decree of God concerning the salvation of his people by Jesus Christ, which is immutable, as appears from the immutability by his nature, the sovereignty of his will, the unsearchableness of his wisdom, the omnipotence of his arm, and the unconditional decree, and the purpose of it being in Christ's atonement. His counsel is his sovereign will. Verse 18, that's what it says. That by two immutable things, things that cannot change, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, we had already talked about immutability. Now, a lot of the times they'll use that term with wills. That is, you cannot change a will unless you're the person who had created the will. But God cannot change the two immutable things we saw in verse 17 was his counsel and his oath. His counsel is his sovereign will. God's decrees he cannot change. And the second thing is his oath. He cannot lie. He has made this pledge. Uh, he made the pledge to Abraham, that blessing I will bless thee, that's the one-way covenant, it's the covenant of grace. Uh, you know, Abraham did not have to do anything to invoke the covenant like the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, was a two-way covenant, uh, which we have failed. But we see that it is impossible in verse 18 for God to lie. So we might have a strong consolation, encouragement, comfort, the paraclesis, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the set, the hope set before us. And he is referencing the city of refuge uh, when he was talking about fleeing. And it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful study, that city of refuge. I'm kind of looking for, yeah. If we don't have to turn there. Numbers 35, if you get time to read that. The God had appointed cities of refuge, six of them. And the cities of refuge were, were created. God had appointed these cities for those to flee who had accidentally killed someone without, without you know, meaning to. The revenger of the blood, it has every right, legal right, to avenge that blood upon the person, even though that person did not mean to kill that other person. So there's a city of refuge that the person who had accidentally killed can flee to the city of refuge, and there he's safe. He is safe from the avenger of blood until the priest dies. And our priest, <laughs> just look at it. I mean, we have fled to Christ for our refuge the avenger, that God's wrath would not come upon us. I mean, that God poured out his wrath upon Christ. We are in Christ. He is our city of refuge, and our priest will never die. We have an unchangeable priest. We have Jesus Christ as our high priest. And so we flee to him for our refuge that we lay hold upon the hope set before us. That's to hold fast. Um, and... Lay a hold upon the hope set before us to hold fast to the hope. God's oaths are meant for us to remember, especially in martyrdom, torture, or anything else that requires patience in faith. 
patience, and faith. God's oaths are meant for us to remember. Remember. Remember what God has pledged to do. Um, And so we see in verse 19, which hope, and talking about Jesus, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is made for us, entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In verse 19, we have this hope, Jesus Christ, as the anchor. He's the object of our hope. He's the security of our hope. And he is both sure and steadfast. And he has entered into that within the veil. Aren't you glad that there's no shadow of turning with God? Aren't you glad God is faithful? I I know God's promises are not based on my performance. God's promises are based upon Jesus Christ, upon his love. Um, You know, as our high priest... Jesus serves as the anchor of our souls and the one who will forever keep us from drifting away from God. Jesus will, is the anchor of our souls, think about that, and the one who will forever keep us from drifting away from God. He is sure, he's steadfast. He's entered into that within the veil. Where, where, where's the veil? He's talking about the, the heavenly sanctuary. He's talking about glory. He's talking about, uh, you know, the the type on earth that was the Holy of Holies, but was only pointing to the real one. Jesus is in the real Shekinah glory. He's in the Shekinah glory of God. He is forever there. He does not leave like Aaron had to leave once a year. Aaron couldn't stay there. And we see that Jesus has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He has completed and finished the merciful work and the grace of God to bless us because it was in his purpose and his determination to save you, to bless you, to love you. And all we can do is say thank you, thank you for setting my feet on solid ground, for giving me an eternity. I mean, so many blessings to be thankful for that that we've lived this life. Um, I was thinking of... Sister Sadie, they've been married for 68 years. And just the, I was thinking, just the blessing of that love that they had each other for that long in this life. 68 years together. I mean, she she was his life and he was her life. And what a blessing to go through life that long, having that. And I got to thinking, and I was like, Lord, just the mercy and the grace of God to give us that blessing. And knowing our days are short. Uh, 68 years isn't, is very short compared to eternity, isn't it? But in this short amount of time, we can look back and see the blessings of God fall to our knees and saying, Lord, thank you. I didn't deserve it, but you gave it. And all we can be is thankful to the Lord. Jesus has gone into the veil for us. We're in Christ. Did you know we're in the very presence of God because Jesus is in the presence of God and we're in Christ? That's what it means in verse 20. He's the forerunner. 
He has gone on before us. And that forerunner word, and it's beautiful in the Greek, it's one who goes in advance to some place where the rest will follow. He is our forerunner. In the mind of God, our souls are anchored in Christ, within that veil, secured within his eternal sanctuary. We're secure in Christ because we're in Christ, in the veil, in the presence of God. Isn't that what he said in Romans chapter 5? I have all boldness to enter in. We have all access. By his, we are at the throne of his grace. As we look at this, some notes to think about before we leave. Think about the unfathomable security which we have in Christ. And not only do we have security in Christ, but we can believe God's oath, his pledge. Because we can trust God because of God's greatness. Because there's no one greater than God. He could only swear by himself, to himself, And then the second thing we see is God's greatness in his grace. He says, surely I will bless thee and I will multiply thee. Surely, Philip, I will save you and I will redeem you by the blood of my son and you will enter into my presence forever and ever and praise the Lamb of God. How wonderful. And not only are the blessings we have after we die, the blessings we have now, the peace that passeth all understanding, the the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. Uh, We're not confused about life. Now, sometimes it depends. Sometimes we all, I mean, we're flesh. We we have to be reminded sometimes God's on his throne and, and look to him as the author and finisher of our faith. But consider the greatness of God's grace, unconditional grace. His sovereign will to bless you and save you. And then we, we also see God's immutable oath is upon the basis and the security of Jesus' atonement, who is our great king priest. He's the priest after the order of Melchizedek. We are continually in his Shekinah glory. He is continually making intercession for us, and he sympathizes with our sorrow. In Christ, we are safe and secure in the eternal sanctuary of God. And what a plead in the end of chapter 6. What a plead to them. Trust the Lord. Everything's in Christ. All the promises are in Christ. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is old. It was meant to show, it was meant to point us to Christ. It was meant to show us our failures. It was meant to show us Christ. Flee to him. Trust in him with all your heart. Over and over and over, the word of God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. But what a beautiful portion of scripture to come to when we are feeling the cost of professing Jesus Christ come to this. Come to the anchor. He's our anchor. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this lesson. Thank you, Lord, for your, your goodness to us. We pray, Father, that you will just bring Sister Sadie and the whole family closer to you and draw them with your love. Father, we know that you will have a short work 
of righteousness upon earth. Father, what blessings and what mercy you give us, the faithfulness. Father, every day we can wake up and know you're faithful. Father, thank you for the ones who are here tonight, and Lord, who love you. And Father, we do pray for those who could not make it tonight for whatever reason. You know each heart and each need. Father, we pray for your glory and your honor as, as we leave this place, that we live our lives to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.